This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. I want to talk uh, about hope can live. Obviously, start of the new year, part of our Transforming Grace series. Grace uh, is, means that God gives us gifts, and faith is a gift from God. It's not something you generate up from yourself. It's something that, that God gives you. But I just want to talk about hope, obviously, at the start of the new year. I mean, we've had some irrational hope. And, and I must admit that when, when my football team's doing well, I, I feel happy. Uh, and it's, I'm ashamed, uh, uh, nearly, uh, fif- nearly 59 this year, that, that I also feel sad and lack hope when my team don't do well. But that, that, that Tim Keller says we're uh, unavoidably and irreducibly hope-based creatures. If you've been sporting Liverpool and they haven't won the title for, for 18, 19 years, you've kept on hoping. Leeds fans, keep on hoping. We keep on hoping. England, what is it? That, 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 that uh, Three lines. How many years? It used to be 30 years of hope. How many years is it now? 40 years of hope, 50 years of hope. We even did it on Spotify, you know, Sports Personality of the Year. And I think, how many is it? 60 years of hope now? 54 years of hope. We keep hoping that we're going to win something. Uh, and, and we are these hope-based creatures. And um, you keep on thinking, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. Something's going to change. Things are going to get better. Uh, there's, a, there's a song there somewhere. But Tim Keller says that we are unavoidably and irreducibly hope-based creatures. We're controlled not how we live now, but what we think will happen in the future. And then he makes this interesting distinction. Hope in our society means a wish. It's the strength of a person's design. The sense where you feel like, oh, okay, I've, to fulfill my dreams, to fulfill my hopes, I, I've got to kind of cross my fingers, I've got to work hard, I've got to go the extra mile, and then it will happen. And, you know, and that's what Disney tells you, isn't it? You know, Disney tells you, if you try hard, all your dreams are going to come true. You know, if you don't have a dream, how you do have dreams come true? And if you try hard, all your dreams are going to come true. But, but, but Keller's saying, no, 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 that, that, that hope in our society means a, way, a wish. It's strength, it's the strength of a person's desire. But, but... In the Bible, hope is confident expectation of what God has promised. And it's his strength in his faithfulness. Now, I don't know who you'd rather trust for those big God-given things, whether you trust your ability or my ability or the leader's ability or, or trust an office to get it done or we've or, or we got to trust God. So I want to take us into that this morning. And it's interesting, Keller's kind of been pushing at what the, the writer to... Uh, uh, Hebrews talks about faith. It's, it says, now faith is the confident expectation of what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. So hope is really critical because hope kind of leads us saying, I want it to be different. There's going to be something different. Things have got to change. And faith goes on the back of that if God has promised. If it's just whistle a happy tune, faith is misplaced. Faith has got to be placed in God's promises, God's faithfulness. 
So I don't, I, I've got this picture. Uh, my son Zach uh, bought me a, a picture of Martin Luther King uh, uh, doing that great speech, uh, the hot summer of 1963. I don't remember it. Hot summer. Martin Luther stood in front of the Lincoln Memorial. There's a little place you can stand there. I went there last year. You stand there. And he spoke about, I have a dream. And think people can misunderstand what he was talking about. It's almost like, did he have a whistler happy tune, keep my fingers crossed as a black guy from the south, a black preacher from the south, that, that, that something's going to change in the country. I think, no, he had a, 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 a conviction from God that things were going to change in society. And, and, and so he stood there and he said, I have a dream. I love this line. He says, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they'll be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I mean, it's brilliant. What happened is he writes this speech, and actually it's quite dry at first. If you read it, it's quite dry. I mean, it's good, it's quite dry. But then a lady behind him, who was a Pentecostal uh, uh, a gospel singer, said, Martin, tell him about the dream. And he put his notes aside and he started to talk about what was truly inside him and starts to extemporize, I've got this dream, I've got this dream, I follow it. And it's brilliant, it's just the most compelling uh, 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 talk. And, and if you're from the States, you know, you do uh, speakers like we don't do. I mean, like, oh, let's not get into that. But, you know, what an amazing speaker. You know, you can talk about Kennedy's ability to stir hope. But this idea was something I don't think that Martin Luther King felt. It was just like he whistled it up. He felt, no, God had spoken. This was the very thing that he was called to do. He says later, before he died, he was assassinated five years later, 4th of April, um, 1968. There's a song by you 2 about it, Pride in the Name of Love. And he said this before, uh, some, some years before he died, he says, if a man or a person hasn't discovered something they're willing to die for, they're not fit to live. What he's saying is that something's got to get hold of you in a way that says, this is what I'm for. This is what I'm about. So we're not talking about, you know, would it be nice if Leeds won the league or something like that. We're talking about these deep things that God puts inside you to say, this is the very thing I was created for. This is the very thing I was made for. And and I, you know, I can ask myself the question, well, well, do I have that? Do I have something that I'm so captivated by, a hope or a promise of God that I'm so captivated by that I'm prepared to die for it? At the moment, the answer feels like no. But we saw just before the new year a report, 250 Christians every week be murdered for their faith. Ask the question, are you living for Jesus? Yes, we're going to kill you. We don't live in those pressure times. Comfort doesn't ask us that question. But Martin Luther King, in, 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 the, kind of, in the Jim Crow uh, uh, you know, apartheid types of, of, of the United States in those times, he knew that oppression had said to him, I, I've got to live for this. This is something worth dying for. When he died, he said, I've been to the mountaintop. I've seen the promised land. You know, I may not get there with you. There's a sense of this calling to take ground, to go into the promised land, to believe God. And I want us to be those kind of people this year. So you might have heard me speak from this passage. God spoke it to me some years ago. Uh, and I, I feel to speak it to you this morning. Well, that was a long intro. Okay, let's go. So we're in two kings. I'm not going to read it all. I'm going to read bits and we're going to work through the story. Okay, so one day, Elisha, we're in two kings. Elisha went to Shuna, which is um, near Galilee, uh, to a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a dinner, stay for a meal. So whenever he passed by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man often comes our way is a holy man of God. 
Let's make a small room for him and put a bed, a uh, small room on the roof and put a bed in it and a lamp and a chair and they put a room together and that's where he stayed. It says, and then one day Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay there and he called his servant Gehazi, called the Shunammite, we never get to know the woman's name, sorry about that, called the Shunammite, so he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, you've gone to all this trouble for us, now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army, presumably to get her a job or a placement in the kind of royal household or in the army? And she said, no, 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 I have a home among my own people. So Gehazi and Elisha, I don't know if she's still standing there, well they seem to ignore her and have a discussion. What can be done for her, Elisha said to Gehazi. Uh, Elisha asked and Gehazi said, she has no son, her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. And then he says this, about next time, this time next year, Elisha says, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my lord, she objected. Please, man of God, do not mislead your servant. But the woman became pregnant and, that, and next year, about the same time she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha has told her. It's interesting, this, this, this baby is going to stand in our story for, for the hopes or the dreams that, 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 that God has called us to. But for some of you sitting here, it may be that you can't have kids. I remember a friend of mine, my associate pastor in Manchester, his sister was here when I preached this for the very first time, and, and, and she couldn't have kids. And she was feeling that, ah, oh, you know, why, why, why? And felt the pressure. I had a great story from, from Graham and Joe about a friend of theirs in Gloucester who couldn't have kids and couldn't have kids and God kept speaking to them. You know, dangerous really. They had people coming up and saying, I think God's gonna say, you're going to have some children, which is a dangerous thing to do. Please don't do that unless you've really heard from God because it's such a vulnerable situation. And, and, uh, and they'd had these words and they're like, how do you cope with all that? And the, the pain and the crying and stuff. And then, and then, and, and then Graham and, jo- and Joe said, this Christmas they had a baby. This is real stuff, you know, having a baby, this is real stuff. But actually I want the, 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 the promise of a baby to stand not just for you will be fulfilled if you have a baby, but to, to stand for, for kind of God's promise. But this woman, she, her inability to have children would have caused a great shame. Uh, 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 it, she would have felt inside this kind of sense of unfulfillment. Uh, it, uh, that, 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 that culture, because women, that's what you did. If you don't have a child, then you, it was shaming for you. And she'd have felt buried deep within her this kind of sense of, what, what am I for? Why is it not happening? What, what's happening? But she doesn't give in to self-pity. I, I love the fact she doesn't get into self-pity or passivity. She's not sitting at home going, poor old me, my life's never going to be fulfilled if I don't have this. She actually gets on and serves God. So see, she's actually super proactive. She kind of builds this extension on the house. She gets Elisha, says, you can stay here. She puts a bed lamp in there. She feeds him. She practices what she can do, what she's already got in her hand. She, she practices hospitality. She's not like paralyzed, dreaming for the future, never does anything now. She actually really, really gets stuck in. And she extends her, her house and to serve uh, Elisha. But, but in one sense, I know she feels inside, and I think Elisha, as the prophet of God, feels this as well. She feels she's made for something more. 
She feels she's made for something more. And so Elisha and Elisha's servant are saying, she's been brilliant to us every time we go. She kind of cooks us a nice meal. We stay in this nice room. It's amazing. She's, what can we do for her? And there's kind of this discussion. And they bring her and ask her. Now, why doesn't she say she wants to have a kid? Because it's almost too painful. Kind of big dreams and big hopes sometimes are almost too, too outrageous to speak. You know, Martin Luther King dies for speaking his dreams out. Sometimes it's too big a thing. We just push it down there. And she says, no, I'm fine. But they won't settle at that. And they say, no, no, no. There's, there's more. So God interrupts this woman, this faithful woman, and he gives her a hope of a future. He says, I'm going to put something in you, literally. You know, he's going to do something in her that's going to change her life. And I think God wants to do that with us. He wants to do something in us that's going to change our life because he promises us something and he draws us to believe something. And so this woman is interrupted. She makes space for God by serving. And I think we do that at God first. We're good. You know, we come, we serve. I see people, when I come down, everybody's ready, serving and stuff. But I think we are made for something more. I don't think we're just made to serve, are we? We're just not meant to, to do this meeting we're made for something more God wants to promise us God wants to promise her something more and it's funny that you can set these goals so I think it's brilliant that we're reading doing five by five by five Bible reading if you want to do that please go on the website news page it tells you how to do it and read it I found that faith even in the five Passages of Mark have super been stirring in me what God is doing, what he's like. It stirs you. And you can say, well, that's my, that's my goal for the year. I'm just going to do that. But my goal, I'm not speaking for the year, but I am speaking for the year. But that, that I don't really want to speak for the year because you're not really supposed to speak about things that you, you can't lead your people into. But the very thing that I feel is actually I, I want God to do things that we can't do. So we can raise money. I believe by God, you know, by, by, by faith, we've got 20,000 to raise money for this office hub. I think it's within us. But I think sometimes there's things that you think, well, that's just God. That's undeniably God. That's something that God has done, that God's fingerprints are all over. And in one sense, I feel a bit like that woman, the shame of childlessness. People are supposed to become spiritual babies here. People are supposed to get born again in a church. And I think, we've had a few, but it's not enough. And I feel the shame of that. People are supposed to get their lives transformed and and healed and, and changed. And I think, we've had some, but it's not enough. I was chatting with a friend of mine. He's he's planting a church, or planted a church in the east end of London. He's called Tom Head. And he's right in the middle of the Tower Hamlets and there's masses and masses of, 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 of Muslims uh, there. And I don't say this because I'm Islamophobic or anything, just because, but he starts to say, we want to see Muslims become Christians. I think Jesus wants to see Muslims become Christians. He's a, if you read stories, he's appearing to some people in the 1040 window and saying, I'm, I'm Jesus, Yehu, <laughs> you know. So this guy said we were praying and it felt like nothing was happening. And he's telling his story. And he said, then one Sunday last year, they're probably a similar size to ours, one Sunday last year, a, le- a young girl comes in uh, and she's clearly a Muslim. And she says to, to Tom, I've never been a church before. Um, 
but I've been reading the Bible on my phone. I've been reading it on my phone because my parents would freak out if they knew I had a Bible, so I've been reading it on my phone. And she said, I'm gripped by Jesus, but I don't know what to do. So I've come to a church, and, and I've come to yours. So Tom says, well, why don't you come sit my, next to my wife, Rachel? She sits down. Sermon goes on. They don't think there's anything amazing about the meeting. Uh, they do what we do. They break bread at the end. Uh, and the Muslim lady says, am I allowed to go and take bread and wine? So Rachel says, well, if you want to put your trust in Jesus, you can. She says, well, I'm not sure what that means, but, but I want to. Anyway, this is interesting. And some of you might freak out with this but it actually really got me. She comes to the front, and, and, and Tom says, and he's not given to you know, extravagant uh, exaggeration, he said, as she took the bread and wine, you could see, he said, you could see, the church could see her becoming a Christian. You could almost like see God birthing her afresh. Now some of you might think, oh, I don't do that. I'm just telling you the story. They could see God doing something, with her, and she sat down next to Rachel and said, something amazing has just happened. I believe this. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And I thought, that's a great story. I thought, I love good stories like that. I'm disappointed I don't have great stories like that, and that's how we were, do, how we're doing it. And then Tom said this, he said, since then, it feels like we've had a season where all our prayers have been answered. Every prayer being answered. And I felt God say to me, Howard, you're not praying for anything, so God can't answer anything. I, I, I kind of grumble in prayer, worry in prayer, but in terms of praying for God to believe, believe in God for stuff, I feel like the woman, I'm busy, but there's something that God wants to birth in me, something that God wants to birth in us. I believe he wants to give us a season where he answers our prayers, where it's undeniably, this is not us, it's him. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the Thomas, it's like too embarrassing to say that. When the, when the woman, uh, when the woman's, when Elisha says to the woman, uh, you know, um, I'm going to give you a baby, she says, D -d 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 no, 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 don't raise my hopes. Don't mislead me. It's almost like, this is too big. I can't handle this. Don't raise my hopes. Don't, don't put me in that place. And I feel even as I'm talking about this, I'm feeling like I'm in a vulnerable place now. Because it's like, whoa, well, well, what about that, that, that talk you talked about? You know, that, you know it's, it's, if, if, if God doesn't answer any prayers, is it all a lie? And if they think, whoa, don't raise my hopes. Don't raise my hopes. But it's interesting, as I'm reading 5 by 5, and Christopher started with this, as I'm reading 5 by 5, first chapter of Mark, there's a, a leper comes to, to Jesus, and he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And I thought, it's interesting, he doesn't say to Jesus, if you're able, can you do this? He said, he questions his willingness. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And it says in, in the NIV, Jesus was indignant. That means he's like, what? What? And it's almost like Jesus is shocked that, that the man would think he's not willing. There's a little bit later, you can read it in Mark 4, they're in the, store, they're in the boat, there's a big storm going on, and the, the, the disciples wake Jesus and say, don't you care if we drown? 
Same thing. God doesn't care. God's not willing. I thought God said to me, that's not true. I am willing. I do care. It's the same God that we're uh, worshipping, same God that we're drawing close to. And it's not like, oh man, and I think that Jesus is willing to do what, I, what, what he said. He's do, he is willing to say, come on now, let's believe him. He is willing to answer our prayers. But like the woman, if you've had a baby, you know it changes everything. And sometimes when God puts a desire in you, God, we're going to pray for big stuff, it might change a lot of stuff. It might change a lot of stuff. Let's, let's read. Because the story doesn't seem to then go super well because she has a baby and it's like, whoa, here we go. Has a baby. The baby grows up. He's probably about 14 by then because he's out with his father with the reapers and some tragedy happens. It says, verse 18, it says, the child grew and one day went out to his father who was with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. The father told the servant, carry him to his mother. It's classic, isn't it? The father's like, what's it do with me? This father does not come out well in this one. The father said to the servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon and then died. She went up and laid him on the bed of Elisha, shut the door and went out. It's amazing, isn't it, that that what happens is that like this thing that's this dream, this hope, this kind of promise of God that's fulfilled suddenly dies. Suddenly dies. That's not supposed to happen in the story. Tom, why won't you come up? Actually, I didn't plan this, but why don't you come up? We had uh, uh, elders kind of an, uh, lead couples uh, food last night, and um, Tom just said something. We talked about like reflections for the year, so Tom hasn't been warned. <laughs> And you said something about praying and stuff like that, I just thought was, you said when you were younger. Um, yeah, I was reading the 5x5 five five this, this last week and just felt really challenged that, um, where it says about Jesus healing people, like raising people from the dead and like some really big miracles. I think reflecting back when I first became a Christian, I really kind of believed that, believed that God could do it. And although now I wouldn't say that, I don't believe that God wouldn't do it. It's kind of, there's an expectation in me that, I didn't expect God to do it and just felt kind of really challenged in this coming season that we need to kind of increase our expectations in terms of what God can do and just kind of stepping out in boldness and uh, I think there's a lot of kind of self-preservation in me that I wasn't willing to be embarrassed by stepping out and praying for people to be healed or, you know, I've never heard of anyone being raised from the dead but man, I'd love to see it. Mm. Uh, I believe that God can, God can do it so I just felt really challenged. Thanks, Tom. Brilliant. That's what I wanted to say. Excellent. Uh, But I just feel that that, that, that it can happen. And not to criticise Tom, because I think that that it's almost like you can start off as a Christian, if you are a Christian this morning, if you're not a Christian this morning, we're really glad you're here, you can listen on in. But, you know, if 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 you are a Christian, you can sometimes start believing big stuff. Having faith that God will do big stuff. And then things happen... And that dies. It's almost, I think, like the guy, the, the boy has a brain hemorrhage. Obviously, I'm not medical, but, you know, when you say, my head, my head, it sounds like he has a brain hemorrhage. And that's what sorts him. And I think sometimes dreams and hopes and believing God can, can die in your head first. It's almost like 
People say to you, come on, don't be ridiculous. Tom, believing for people to be raised from the dead, what's the matter with you, man? You know, he'll come and cold. And you go, mm, yeah, that's true. And so you just dial on back. And you stop believing and you dial on back. And you just end up being like the woman doing the service, but just nothing's happened. And it's almost like this, this situation where, you know, the spiritual, your spiritual life, your faith in God, the, the vibrant faith in God can just ebb away. It just hemorrhages away. It just goes away. And quietly you downscale your expectations that God can do anything. And you call yourself a believer, but you don't believe. You don't really believe. And this promise of God dies right in front of her. Again, we've all been reading Mark. As you, if you don't sign up for 5 by 5 you're going to be super frustrated because he's probably going to be quoting it. But here's the thing. that, that I just thought about it as I'm preparing this sermon. The parable of the sower. It talks about in the parable of the sower what happens when the, when the word of God comes. It's like the promise of God comes. The word of God comes. The first one is on the path. Uh, the word comes on the path. Problem with the path, it can't penetrate. What happens? Who, what, who or what comes and steals it? The birds, which stand for Satan. It's like there's an enemy that doesn't want this word of faith to get inside you. And then some, the next one is it, it gets, the word gets in, but it doesn't get very deep, uh, and it's on the rocky ground, and what happens is it's like when the pressures of life, says Jesus, comes, it's got no root, and it just withers, and I feel faith can be like that. You say, I believe God, but when the pressures of life come, that's happened to me, or this tragedy happened to me, or those horrible people in church did that to me, or, or whatever, and you're just, that just, the faith just withers. And then the one that I feel is easiest for me, it says, some fell among the thorns, and then Jesus says this, it says, and, and, and it's choked out by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth. I said to them, we walk in the dog, I said, why is wealth deceitful? It promises you a better future, but ultimately don't deliver. You know that if you're very rich. Most of us that aren't rich still believe the lie. If I got rich, it'd be great. Jesus says it chokes it out, and I think there's, there's something about Cheltenham that just chokes out faith. It's just, do church. But let's not believe God or rock the boat. What happens next is significant. She lays, uh, let's read it, verse 22. It says, she called her husband. He's not going to come out well, as we said. She called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. The husband replies, why go to him today? It's not a new moon or a Sabbath. It's classic, isn't it? She says, all right, that's all right. She's basically, thank you, husband, for your contribution. <laughs> that's all right, she says. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, now lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Carmel. The husband just doesn't get it. He says, why are you believing God? It's not Sunday. <laughs> it's not Christmas. You know, why are you going to church? What's the matter with you? And I think she, she, she's, the guy's got no faith. He's got absolutely no faith. He's seen this boy grow. He's, got, he's obviously not involved <laughs> with the boy you know, and, uh, very much. And then the boy dies. He's, no, he's not like sad or grieving. He's just flatlining. Well, what are you bothered about? God doesn't sort that sort of stuff out. It's not Sunday. 
Why are you praying? It's not Sunday. Why are you believing God? It's not, it's not, it's not Christmas. But she says, thank you. And you might be, and I'm not trying to get you to nudge and poke your partner at this point, but you might have a partner who's basically like, so what? I'm flatlining that. Yeah, what? You're, what? you're, getting, you're getting ridiculous. You're getting extreme here. You know, what's the matter with you? Just chill. Just go to church and just relax. You've got to say, thank you. I'm pursuing God. I've seen, so she lays her hope, her, her, her hopes, she lays her, her dead son on the, on the bed of the man of God. I think that's significant that she lays it on the bed of the man of God because she's not done. She's not done with believing God. I know people whose, whose hopes or dreams or expectations have died and what they've done is they've laid the dreams down and they've gone and pursued something else. Uh, you know, I, I, I remember really great... Uh, well, let's talk about in Manchester. A really great lady in Manchester wasn't married. She kept saying, oh, God needs to give me a husband. God needs to give me a husband. And I said, just keep trusting him. Just keep trusting him. In the end, she goes off, marries a guy. Worse than this guy, don't even go on Sunday to church. You know, he's just not interested. It, it's all very intimate. She's gone. It's almost like God didn't fulfill my dream, so I'm going to pursue it elsewhere. This woman doesn't do that. I've seen young guys with masses of potential in God who've said, well, I'll, I'll get to that later. I'll get to that later. I'll believe God later. I'll live radically later because I've got my career to sort out. I've got my career to sort out. And then they, they, they get grey hair and nearly 60 and they think, where's my life gone? And whatever age you are, we need to say we're pursuing God for our dreams. We're pursuing God for the things he's spoken about. When Naomi and I moved to Cheltenham, I felt that all we had was faith. We had our kids. We had a faith. God will do something. As, it gets, as church gets bigger, it's easy to think, oh, we've, we've got a little bit in the vision fund. There's a, a few nice folks around. We're, we're, we're good. And your dreams can die. The woman's going to God. We're, we're getting, getting to the end here. The woman is going to God. She's going to God's man. She's going fast. No slowing down. Guys, you need to pursue God. I need to pursue God. You need to pursue God. We don't want to be like that husband. We'll just pursue God on Sunday, maybe. But there's other things. Let me just say this, actually. And this is not a dig at you, guys. It just, I've just been thinking it, praying it. I've seen, even in my family, parents who've not pursued God. Or they've, they've dialed back on things. But they really want their kids to be Christians. Because they think that's good. We want them to follow Jesus. But as they've stopped pursuing God, guess what? Their kids are gone. Jesus says that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. So she pursues God. She, it says, When Elijah saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, Look, there's a Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her, Are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything's all right, she said. She's lying, isn't she? But she's learnt this principle. Don't moan to everybody. 
Don't moan to everybody. You know, life sometimes crashes your dreams and things happen and bad stuff happens. And she doesn't die in self-pity or moan. She believes God. She doesn't go moaning to everyone. She said, I, I, it's, it's not you I want to speak to, it's him. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. He's sharp, this guy. She's in bitter distress. But the Lord has hidden it from me and not told me why. And then you can just feel her pain, she said. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? It just get right through me. God, don't stir me up. I don't, I don't want to be believing you. It's too difficult. It's too hard. Just let me be comfortable. Just leave me alone to have a nice life. I don't want to step out and believe you. It's, I don't do that to me. Don't raise my hopes. But God is in the very business of raising hopes. He's in the business of saying, will you believe me? I'm preaching this to myself. If none of you are getting it, I'm preaching it to myself. Why don't I do it? I, I, you know, I don't share the gospel. I don't pray for people that are sick. I, I don't challenge my Christian friends to live godly lives, you know, because I'm scared of uh, it's cost too much. Oh, it's not going to happen. Never going to happen. Don't raise my hopes. Don't get me involved. I might lose face. God won't do it. He's not willing. Verse 29, Elisha said to Gehazi, Tuck your cloak into your belt and take my staff in your hand and run. Don't greet anyone you meet, and if anyone greets you, don't answer. Lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said to Elisha, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I'm not going to leave you. So Elisha got up and followed her. So he's basically sending the servant and saying, you'll go with the servant and we'll lay the staff on the boy. And she says, no, 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 I'm staying with you. Gehazi went off and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or no response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elijah and said, the boy is not awakened. I think it's really interesting. Why is that bit in there? But Because I think sometimes when you feel that faith has died or you feel you stop believing God or you feel that you're just settling for something, sometimes you think, how do I shake myself out of that? And it's almost like that, 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 that Elisha, Elisha says, well, put this staff, which represents his authority, put it on the boy, and then he'll rise. He puts, he puts the staff on the boy. Nothing. And sometimes when... When you're saying, God, my dreams have died, my, my faith in you is you know, burn, burning less brightly, you can try all kinds of things. And sometimes when the first thing doesn't work, you just say, I'm done. You know, I tried reading my Bible for a week and God never spoke to me, I'm done. I went to a G1C, but like no one's friendly with me, so I'm done. I told my friends about 321 once, but they didn't want interested, I'm done. But the, so, so sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes we don't know. If you feel this morning that your hope is, is, is failing, that your, your faith in Jesus is failing, you can try things. Oh, I'll go to church. Maybe that'll do it. It's got to help, but it might not do it. Ultimately, what you need is God. The woman's not giving up. She says to Elijah, we're finishing nearly here. She says to Elisha, 
As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. She's got like one conviction. I'm going to hold on to God. I'm going to hold on to God. Whatever's happened, whether it's whether my dreams have died or whatever, I'm going to hold on to God. I'm going to press on and hold on to God. She's committed to holding on to him. She, she, she says, it's only him that can change situations. It's only him that can change my life. It's only him that can transform me. You know, I think I'm, I'm 60 now and I'm still dealing with some of the stuff that I was dealing with in my 20s. Would that mean I give up? No, I've got to keep holding on to God. There'll yeah. be a time. He may lay a staff on me and that hasn't happened, but there will be a time where this happens to your faith and mine. Let's finish. It says, When Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in and shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed. This is strange, really, but got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. And he stretched himself out on the boy. And the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched himself out once more. So says, the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said to the Shumanite, call the Shumanite, and he did. And when she came, he said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground. She took her son and went out. I feel for me and for some of you that, that, that trust in God, faith in God has died. It may not be obvious, but it's laying there and you've not believed God for anything for a long, long time. Maybe you've never believed God. Maybe you've never put your faith in God. And Elisha stretches out on the boy and I think, why? And I was praying and finishing off this morning, I thought, who do we know stretches out? It's a picture of Jesus stretched out on the cross. He stretches out upon us to give us life. When we break bread, if you feel, I used to have faith in Jesus, I used to walk passionately, I've been hurt, some of that's died, some of that's not happening. Uh, and, and that, but what we need to do is when we break bread, we're saying to God, would you stretch out on us? Just warm us where we've gone cold. Put your mouth to us and breathe your spirit in us. I need that. And so do you. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.